Just what is it that you want to do? Well, we want to be free. We want to be free to, to do what we want to do. And we want to get loaded. And we want to have a good time. And that's what we're going to do. Well, wait, baby, let's go. We're going to have a good time. We're going to have a party. Hello and welcome to Britsland Flicks. I'm your host Graham and with me as always is... Brian Lomax from Brian Lomax Movie Talk. And this month we are going to be talking about The World's End. Brian, this is your choice. Would you like to let everybody know why you chose this movie? (laughs) Uh, For the simple reason that I hadn't seen it and it had been sat on my shelf for like two years or whatever. Uh, I'm a really big fan of Shaun of the Dead and Hot Thaws. Really like those films. Big fan of... Uh, the director, actually, whose name has just suddenly escaped my Edgar mind. Wright. Edgar Wright. Yes, um, a big fan of Edgar Wright. I really love um... <laughs> Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> really, this is a great start. I really love Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Love it so much. I can't remember the name of it. Um... <laughs> So, yeah, so this is one that I've just been meaning to catch for goodness knows how long. Like I say, it's just been sat on my shelf, like, forever. Um, So doing this podcast, it kind of gave me an excuse to to not just watch it, but, like, really explore it, really think about it for this. So, yeah, I thought, why not? Let's let's complete the uh, Carnetto trilogy and and do the the final one for this. Yep. Um, Massey history with, the, with these kind of movies or, or the people behind this movie is I, I first saw the TV show Spaced and when I saw that um, it just kind of spoke to me because it had lots of movie references it didn't really, well it kind of looked a bit like other TV shows but the way the camera acted within it and the way the people sort of passed through each scene was very different to things I had seen so when I knew that Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright were going to be doing a movie together when I, I knew that I, I was so excited and when I saw Shaun of the Dead it was one of my favourites of that year and it, my excitement was amplified by the time Hot Fuzz came out and I couldn't wait and when I knew they were going to finish off this Cornetto trilogy I, I, I literally couldn't wait I found all their stuff to be highly enjoyable and I was really excited about seeing The World's End as well so I take it you're roughly the same you must have seen Space as, as well yeah I <laughs> 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 we can't get through a single one of these podcasts without me referencing X Files, <laughs> but <laughs> just uh, yeah, the, my my fondest memory of Space is from the first episode <laughs> when he ha- when he comes out at the uh, at the end of the first episode and grabs the copy of FHM <laughs> because like you know I'm a huge X Files fan and back, when Space came out X Files was at the height of its popularity and you know like clearly as it shows in the episode Gillian Anderson was you know voted the sexiest woman in the world in FHM and I was one of those guys you know I was one of those young males who like really had the hots for Gillian Anderson um so when 
I've sat there watching this program space with my parents <laughs> and he comes out at the end my parents know you know they know how much I was really into Julian Anderson so he comes out of his bedroom at the end and grabs his magazine <laughs> nobody needs to say anything but I'm just in hysterics I was literally in fits of giggles and my parents they, quite frankly just didn't need to ask but um <laughs> So from that moment on, yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm watching this series, and and I did. I watched, I watched the whole series. Um, I don't quite like it as much as as, as their film work. I think it is definitely a, a lot rougher around the edges. You know, they were working on no budget, but it, it's definitely like if if you love the films that they've done, then you're definitely going to want to watch Space. Um, yeah, really good series. Yeah. But that's that's my, the memory I always have when people bring it up. Whenever I, we're going to record these episodes, what I'll usually do is I'll usually watch the movie once, maybe twice beforehand, just to get my head round about it. Um, we've had a few false starts with the recording this episode so it turns out that I think I've either watched it five or six times within the past <laughs> I know, three or four weeks um, which is, is good so I've got the movie firmly in my head so do you want to give us a quick synopsis of this thing and we can get stuck right into it yeah I can do I mean I've I've watched this twice I usually I do like to try and watch it about twice I'll watch it where just for fun not try and overthink mm. it just like as, as a viewer, and then I'll watch it again and maybe take notes or just mental mm. notes just to think about themes and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I've seen this one twice. Um, yeah. But, yeah, synopsis. Let's get into it. When Gary King, played by Simon Pegg, decides to get his old band of school friends together to relive the most glorious night of their life, a mile-long pub crawl that takes in a total of 12 pubs not even the reluctance of his team can wane his boundless optimism and determination. As the five friends hit their old stomping ground, animosity towards Gary begins to bubble to the surface as old wounds are reopened. But just as all these childhood grievances come to a head, the group are suddenly hit by the fact that the people in their old hometown are all robotic replacements. Can the team put the past behind them and join together once more to stop this alien invasion? And can Gary fulfil his dream of completing the pub crawl and reaching the world's end? Fantastic. Now, like you said, you try not to overthink these movies. I think the problem I have is I've watched it that many times that I have so many <laughs> different things going on in my head. But I think that the first thing I want to talk about is the character of Gary King. Simon Pegg's character because it's it's unlike <laughs> anything he's ever played before. It's a it's a character who is just wholly belligerent. He's all about himself. He doesn't care about anybody else. He's manipulative. He is pretty much a human leech. He just latches on to <laughs> people and just drains them. He's, he's very narcissistic. I think it's just it, it, this is one of my favourite characters. I gotta say, it's like. Edgar Wright, the things that he makes is, is it's always very fast. You know, he's known for that fast cutting and the the kind of fast panning away, and then you suddenly pan onto something else. But this kind of really notches it up to another level because just simply because of this character, Gary King, he talks at two hundred miles per hour. He thinks at two hundred miles per hour. He's just he's just a non-stop ball of energy throughout this film he just carries the whole thing really um 
So, yeah, for me personally, this is one of my favourite characters that I've ever seen uh, Simon Pegg play. It's a great character, but it's also kind of... I think if you're about her age, you probably knew somebody who was like that, who reached their peak at school and just didn't want to go any further. That was it. I definitely know someone who's like that, who literally hasn't (laughs) changed from school. I mean, there's that moment in the car where they have the... uh, I mean, the the car itself, you know, he's he's still got this car from... uh, Although although the gag that they use there kind of reminds me of one from Only Fools and Horses when Trigger's talking about his brush, how, how it's the same brush that he's had for so many years. It's only had 18 new heads and 20 handles. But like <laughs> Gary does the same thing with his car, um, but he's got this tape that the the Parry Considine character gave him uh, in school. And he's like, "Did I make? Did I put this on a tape for you at school?" And he's like, "Yeah, th- this is it. This is the tape." And it's like literally, he has not changed at all since his days from school. And I I do. I have a. I have a, a best friend who is like this. He's just not changed. He's not been able to get out of that school kind of mentality, I don't think. Um, and that's what Gary King is here. But it, it does all these mannerisms or the way he enters a scene. He'll be standing, posing, you know, like standing in the background, like just kind of like... <laughs> just the way that, that one of the guys sees him when he's in the car shop or the way that um, Sam... One of the guy's uh, sisters appears. He's just sitting on the couch, his arms stretched out, he's, and it, it starts all. <laughs> then he opens his mouth and just reveals himself to be the idiot that he is. And even things like when he's he's trying to manipulate people, like when he's talking to Paddy Constantine character, and, and, and he's starting to get him, and he's like, What's that thing above the door called? And as soon as he answers that, it just, it just that changes moment, yeah. the, the thing straight away. <laughs> On to the next subject. And I love the way he brings that back <laughs> yeah. in as well. Um, when he goes to see his uh, supposed best friend and he's just like literally kind of def- to, just to deflate the situation or just to change, completely change the topic because it's not going the way he wants it to go. He just suddenly starts banging on about how, how this... Uh, this door is completely made of glass and the wall above it is made of glass, so can it really be called a door? Or is it a window? Or is it a window? <laughs> it's just, like, the the jokes in it. It's, it's one of them films, you you literally have to watch it twice just to pick up on things that you mm-hmm. miss the first time around. Absolutely. Because the gags come that thick and fast that you just, you're missing stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And... If Gary King, Simon Pegg's character, is a complete change of pace for him, then Nick Frost's character is a complete change from whatever he's did in the previous Carnetto movies, where he's been the kind of mm. sort of bumbling uh, sidekick almost here. He's a very defined character, a very adult character who has a, a grievance against Gary for a, a very good reason. Mm. And it's just, uh, if it suits that as well. You know, you, you kind of think of Nick Frost yeah. and you think the kind of goofy, you know, boyish uh, grin but he plays this role very well. I think Nick Frost is a very good actor. I think there's a, a lot in that he has in his repertoire that he's still yet to show us. I mean, we've seen elements of that in the previous movies, moments where, despite his schlubbiness and despite him being like the, the, the nerdy guy, he has moments where he does kind of pluck at the heartstrings, where he genuinely makes you feel for his character. Um... I think of some of the things that happen in Hot Fuzz, where one minute you're laughing and then the next minute, yeah, like I say, he's he's pulling at your heartstrings. But he's definitely the toughest character of the group here. He is is almost... 
the leader. And now in the school days, that wasn't the case because they all looked to Gary King. He was the king of the group. But the tables seem to have turned. So as, as they've gotten older, he's now this guy who's a very successful businessman by all accounts. Um, but he's just he doesn't take any crap. He's not really willing anymore to just take Gary's kind of behaviour at face value. He he's just he just won't have any of it. And yeah, like I say, he's very he's the tough one in the group. And there's a moment, a really funny moment, but also he does make a really good point, which is the when he orders a pint of water and Gary's kind of calling him a pussy and all this lot. And then he goes off on one and he's like, you think it's, you think it's, uh, you know, like, you think I'm a pussy if I order water. You try going into a bar full of big hairy ass men and ordering a pint of water. You know, that, that ain't something a pussy would do. You've got to be tough to do that. And uh, and that's true. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it does reveal a lot about his character. And that's the thing, the characters are all fully fledged and you you know who each and every character is within the first few minutes of the movie but from their their youth or whether it's their adult years you just know that they're they're not one dimensional that's one of the key strengths of the, of the movie in my opinion because you instantly know all these characters you instantly can relate to them you know people like them you do like them and you like to see them all together and interacting and, and it's strange that there is obviously a history with Gary amongst them all. They mentioned some scenes, like um, with Paddy Constantine's character. Gary King stole his guitar and sold it for drugs. And then there's the whole story with uh, <laughs> Nick Frost's character where they've been in some sort of accident and Gary's just kind of left him to it and ran away. Hmm. And although they never come right out and say it, there's obviously a dependency problem with Gary. He's been in some sort of rehab, he's had drugs, he's, he's, he's a damaged individual. And even yeah. though he's kind of burnt his bridge with all these people, they still come back to to, to join him on this 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 legendary uh, drinking binge that he wants to do. They're all enablers in a way. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's, it's so yeah. strange that they, they, they all they all kind of have a a hatred for him in a way, but they all kind of love him in the same way as well. When they're willing to go back and join him on this idiotic venture. I, I feel like this, in a way, is kind of. It's a moment of catharsis for them. It's like it's almost like they have to do this in order to in order to settle things from their past. There's there's things that have that have been left unsaid. There's things that that need to have been kind of addressed that haven't been. And I feel like for each of them, like G- Gary just wants to, you know, he's he's just all about doing this pub crawl. Um, he's literally living back in the school days. <laughs> Whereas I think they're all there to literally settle, settle the scores, I guess, uh, get things out in the open, um, you know, m- be mature about it. <clears throat> but yeah, like you say, all of these characters feel really fleshed out, and you do feel like, well, at least I did anyway. I felt like I wanted to be part of that mm-hmm. group. I felt like I was part of that group by, you know, just by virtue of watching them kind of uh, be together, but. Yeah, there's not one character on there that you don't feel like you know the history of them. Like they don't, they don't go into you know these big deep histories with them, but you just feel like you know them. You feel yeah, you've got them pegged just by seeing them in their their home life situations or their work life situations at the beginning. As Gary goes to see each of them, just that you get a sense of who they are as characters. Who who are the successful ones? Who aren't? 
Um, who shouldn't be? Uh, <laughs> but that's the thing as well. Is when you initially meet all these people, you know Gary's kind of stuck in a time and place. He is kind of damaged. He's not moved on from that time. But everybody else has moved on. They've become successful in their own ways. And they all have very successful jobs. But the more they go on their pub call, the more they talk to each other, the more they realise that none of them are really 100% happy with the way their lives have ended mm. up. You know, they've all yeah. got a problem along the way. Andy wants always wants Sam, he's with a younger room just now. Um, Nick Frost's character has split up from his wife momentarily. Uh, it, they've all got some sort of problem that they're trying to figure, figure out along the way here. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's like they're all putting on facades, really. Um, even Simon Pegg, he's, he's kind of built up this brick wall of... Like this veneer of of being the, the the person he still was in high school, but in a way that's that's a wall just to kind of prevent him having to deal with the realities of life, to to have to face up to what it is to be an adult. Whereas the other ones, they you know they they are kind of trapped in the the facade of life that we all put on, that we all kind of get drawn into you know when you when you get married and you, you have kids and you, you do your nine to five and you kind of forced in many ways into these kind of patterns of behavior and so yeah they're they're all in a way a little bit like gary um just with a bit more maturity i guess um but yeah they're, de- they're definitely all damaged goods in some way or other um, uh, one of the things i noticed like i said i watched this movie about five or six times all the way through, but I also watched the first 40 minutes of the movie an extra three or four times as well because <laughs> I just I, I love the first 40 minutes of this thing. I think it's absolutely perfect. Mm. Um, and the one thing that I didn't notice when I seen it in the cinema, when this came out, I saw it twice in the cinema, fairly close to each other, and I didn't notice this, but when Gary is telling the story of their youthful adventure, it's foreshadowing everything that's going to happen in the actual movie itself. I don't know if you noticed that at all. Like, as he's telling the story of his younger kids, it's what's happening to them when they go out um, as adults into the town. You know, where they lose somebody, they lose somebody at a certain pub, that happens with the adults. They, they meet Sam at a certain pub, that happens in the movie. They go to the smokehouse, and that's when everything goes haywire. They, you know, they mentioned that they had to leave one of their friends in the park. They, they do, they have to leave one because he gets attacked by the... It, it, it just foreshadows everything. and it. So they're bas- basically having the same night, just on a much bigger yeah, scale. Yeah, and I didn't notice that until I don't know how many watches in I was, and I was like, my God, that's absolutely fantastic. It's that <laughs> sort of layered. And then there's the thing as well with the musketeers that he mentions. You know... Yeah. Five musketeers, no, there should have been three, but did they should have started with five because then you could have killed two and been left with three, and that's <laughs> what they do in the movie. You have these five guys, two get killed, you're left with three. It's, you yeah. know, it just it feels it doesn't feel they have put a lot of thought into everything in this movie, and I think it almost demands rewatches. You know, each time I, w- uh, yeah, I, I think it definitely demands rewatches. I mean, like the first time I watched it, I watched it with a couple of friends. And we all just really laughed, laughed our asses off, to be honest, throughout it. Um, so I knew I was going to have to watch it again before we did this, just to kind of catch the bits that maybe I missed when we were all in stitches. But the thing that I always think about when I watch an Edgar Wright film, and particularly with this one, because the opening ten minutes oh, 
it's all like set up. So he's doing this voiceover and he's talking about his school days and this pub crawl. The cutting is so fast and so kind of all over the place. So you, one minute you're here, next minute you're there, next minute you're there. Like literally, you know, knowing what goes into making a film, being on film sets, you know, seeing setups. They've had to take actors to all these different places, all these different locations, do you know, get complete camera setups, get all the lighting right, get all this, that, and the other for what is essentially five second shots, ten second shots, in order to string together like a ten minute sequence. Now, <clears throat> given the number of locations that there are in that, something like that to put that together, a ten minute sequence like that could take forever you know you could you could spend as much time as you would making a feature film just shooting those opening 10 minutes just because of the number of setups that are involved so that to me just from a filmmaking standpoint yeah. is something to be really admired those first 10 minutes are absolutely i mean they, they just hook you in straight away but like you said they've got that um when it goes to the adult life and it's kind of like a panning shot left to right and it just goes through everybody you know, it's mm. just you're watching it, and it's just immensely watchable. It just draws you in straight away, and you want to see where it's going to go. It's just a, a great opening, but he does that as well. Like you said, mm. lots of quick cuts and sound edits as well. Like um, when they start going to the pubs and they're getting the drinks poured for them, you know, and it's the cut of the, the 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 thing getting pulled, and then the glass getting filled up, and it's the the four pints, and then the water. You know, even that's just it's cut really quickly, and it's cut with loud, expansive sounds as well. The first thing, I know, I'm thinking back to when I first saw this, and I found it really jarring the way it's, for the first 40 minutes, it's almost like a, a comedy drama piece where you're, you're getting to know these five people, and then, wham, 40 minute mark into this movie, it just completely changes into something completely different than what I was expecting. It's like from dusk till dawn, isn't it's it? It's almost that jarring <laughs> a change, yeah. Mm. What did you think of that? Did, it, did, it, I think you knew that was coming. Yeah, I mean, I knew that was coming anyway. I mean, uh, you know, there's always with Shaun of the Dead. Obviously, we had zombies. With the uh, with Hot Fords, we had this kind of cult thing, this occult action going on. So, <laughs> I think you kind of have to expect something of that ilk within within one of these films. But obviously. You couldn't escape knowing that anyway if you knew anything about the film because if you've seen the trailer, you know that's going to happen. So I, you know, I knew that going in. I think if I'd come to this film not knowing anything about it at all, then yeah, that would have been a like a what on earth kind of moment. It's just like, oh, it's that kind of film. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, like it just—it really does set itself up to be okay. This is just going to be a comedy drama, in which these five friends deal with, you know, old history, you know, histories, you know, things that happened in the past. But yeah, so but I, I liked it, I, and I like I like films that kind of do that, that become that start off as one thing and become something else, just as long as when they do become something else, they maintain that quality that they still, you know, that I still enjoy that other something as much as I did the, uh, you know, the, the the thing that I was enjoying to begin with. And the way that they do it, when they f we first have the, this big fight scene in this toilet, in, uh, and it's just 
One, it's hysterical. Yeah. Some of the funniest fight moves I've ever seen in my life. But it's just really beautifully put together. Again, from the editing, from the way it's shot. Uh, just a really entertaining, long, <laughs> overdrawn kind of fight sequence in which arms and limbs and you know everything's being ripped off. Uh, and we discovered that these... These chavs are, in fact, robots. Uh, but, yeah, it's a brilliant fight scene. One of my favourite fight scenes, actually, in a long time. Probably since, uh, I mean, it actually came out before Kingsman Secret Service, but obviously me seeing it after that is it's my favourite fight scene I've seen since then, I think. And it's, it's a weird design for robots as, as well, how their heads are almost like doll heads, the way they're just kind of locked onto the top of the bodies. You know, it's, a, it's a very strange design and filled with that kind of blue ink, which is, is a great way of getting around the, the, sort of, the whole blood censoring type of thing. Mm. Yeah. But th- isn't, it funny, isn't it funny how you can just change the colour of blood to something else and then instantly that mm. gets you away from a, an 18 kind of rating? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> what about the, the, the musical choices in this? This thing is packed with early 90s music drops. And I, I was actually surprised how many of them, like I, I pretty much knew all the lyrics to, you know, and it's that terrifying moment where you go like, oh my god, these are people I relate to this is a, a music music from my childhood as well It's one of the things that I really loved about the film because a lot of the stuff that kind of comes out generally tends to harken back to the 80s there are a lot of films these days that kind of show a real love for the 80s, as if the 80s were this you know, great time. But that's because the people who were making these films were the people who grew up in the 80s. They were the teenagers in the 80s. But you look at these guys now, and I, I think this will be a trend that kind of maybe starts to go on as, as, you know, as we go on in the future. You're going to get filmmakers... Who, who were teenagers during the 90s, and they'll be hearkening back to things like that. And that's what they do here. So this is our generation. So, you know, th- these guys making these films, they're our generation, just about. Uh, give or take, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, so it, it's really great. Like, there's, there's a one moment where they're all walking down the street to this suede track. Um, and, you know, the you have some kids today listening to that, they will not have a clue who Swede are. But I, I remember listening to Dogman Star in the 90s. I, I remember listening to their, their first album. And, yeah, so it does, it takes you back, takes you back to that period. Uh, and I like that. I like that actually now you can have a film that is kind of, in a way, romanticising the 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 era of my youth rather than the eighties, which okay, I was a kid in the eighties, but I, it's not really my thing because I didn't really like my childhood all that much. Didn't really like my teenage years all that much either. But I I still you know that's that's when you start to build yourself. I guess you start to know who you are, start to discover who you are. So that's when you start I think romanticizing the better parts of those years, and that's what this film kind of does in some ways, but for me as a viewer watching it. Yeah, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you completely there, but well, when I'm watching this uh, movie and the, the needle drops happen, usually you get one or two in other movies that are kind of eye-rolling, but none of these are like that. Every single tune that he's picked out seems hand-picked and, and 
fitting to the circumstances that they're in and true to what they would have listened yeah. to when they were kids as well. It's, it's pitch perfect. You know, if I can get... Mm. It's like the opposite of Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah. If you look at the... Exactly. <laughs> like, literally, David Ayer thought, oh, that's a cool sound. Uh, that's, that's, that's a cool song. That would sound good on a soundtrack. Let's stick it in the film. And then you've just got this constant barrage of classic hits that everybody knows and loves because... Yeah, that would sound cool on a soundtrack, but then once it's strung together in a film, it just feels like someone doing that, just trying to offer you up a soundtrack. Whereas, like you say, here, they feel well-placed, they feel appropriate to whatever's going on and, and, and to the characters and how they're feeling and to, to the times that they're hearkening back to. So, yeah, brilliant soundtrack, brilliant use of music. So... When we get into the, the alien attack, it becomes a bit of a chase movie and definitely it ramps up the action. It still keeps the comedic beats all the way through it. What did you think of that sort of like part of the movie when it gets to the action? Because there's a big fight scene. After that initial scene, there's a, a fight scene later on in, in the pub with uh, Andy Nix Frost's character taking a couple of stools as, as almost boxing gloves. <laughs> No, he hulks out. That literally, when he when he does that, it literally reminds me of the bit in Incredible Hulk where Hulk rips a car apart. He rips a car in two, and then he puts one half on one hand and one half on the other, and he literally just looks like that. I was really amazed actually throughout this film just how physical Nick Frost could yeah. get. He does a lot of running in this film. He does a lot of falling over and diving around and fight scenes and stuff. He's a really big guy, um, but he he looks quite fit when you see some of the stuff oh, yeah. that he's doing. But yeah, that, that fight scene alone is just... All the fight scenes in this, actually, are just really humorous, really well staged. And what about the, the alien designs themselves? Like the, the bright lights? Uh, never mind the fact that the, the body parts just pop off. Yeah, it's it's got kind of like a um, invasion, of the body. invasion of the body snatchers yep. vibe about it, and I think that's what they were going for. Clearly, um, you know, you think of invasion of the body snatchers where they they kind of when they know there's a human there, they they kind of point to him and just start screaming and stuff, and and they kind of have that going on about them, just with the the, the white light coming out of their eyes and the mouth as well. Um, yeah, I I liked it. I yeah, it, it was entertaining. It. It was a good action movie. It was, it was a very good comedy drama film that turns into a very good action sci-fi movie, but that still keeps those elements of comedy and drama. So it's not like it completely ditches everything that it's done in the, in the first half. It just incorporates something else. It adds something else to it, um, which is equally entertaining, I would say. And there's a, there's a few cameos in the movie as well from um, some well-named actors and some uh, previous Cornetto trilogy actors as well. Like, did you notice that the, the, the group at the start, uh, the lady to his left, was the, um, the checkout assistant in Shaun of the Dead? Maybe. Oh, right. <laughs> and then, okay, I, I recognise the voice of Bill Nye yeah. as, the, um, as the alien leader. Kind and of thing. The, the, the woman at the hotel was... Um, the woman that was always drinking in space. Right. Oh, yes, yes, I did recognise her. And I recognised the guy as well, who was the barman, yeah. who played the, the weird <laughs> guy in space as well. <laughs> yeah, Brian, his name was. I didn't want to say it, but... Yes, his name was Brian, and he was a weirdo. But, um, yeah, he was there as well. 
Um, and then, of course, we've got Pierce Brosnan and just a couple of little scenes, to be fair, just probably because they could just get Pierce Brosnan for it and no other reason. You know? but they ha- yeah, but he, he lends himself well, I think, to the kind of... Yeah. S- Stuffy like British professor type, um, and, and but yeah, it was it was nice to see him. Do though. you think they went after him because they had Timothy Dalton and Hot Fuzz, and they wanted another old Bond actor? You know, it, it literally only just occurred to me as like just before you said it. Then I was like, oh, hang about because because I I just in my, in my head I was thinking, um, I I think they they probably just got him because you know they got Timothy Dalton for the other one. It's nice to have like a oh, hang on. That's a bond. <laughs> and then I was just like, yeah, and then you said it. So, yeah, um, I think they probably did, to be honest. Um, they should try and get Roger Moore for the next one just before he croaks it. Just the performances, actually. Um, like, I've been a, a big fan of Paddy Considine for a long time. Uh, ever since I saw this film called A Room for Romeo Brass. It's a Shane Meadows film. It's his second film that he did um, and his first collaboration with... Paddy Considine, they do they do some of their best work yeah. together actually, um, and they also did a film called Dead Man's Shoes, is which is oh man, it's yeah it's it's a dark film, it's a very dark film. But when Paddy Considine is good, when he's on farm, when he's at on his A game, he he's the Robert De Niro of of British acting talent. Um, now I think he works best in an environment that allows for um, ad-libbing, for, for kind of doing things on the spot in a way. And and I think sometimes he, he doesn't quite... Or certainly earlier on in his career, I think he's, he's handling it a lot better now. He's definitely developing as an actor in that sense. But I think early on in his career, when he gave him something that was scripted, that, like, literally had to be, look, you say these lines of dialogue, you don't veer from it, that's the way it has to be. I think those are the kind of things that he struggled with as an actor. I think he's doing better now. I think he's actually, as I say, he's improving, which, which shows just how talented that he is as an actor, that he can do that. Um... And I think so. I think this film is probably very heavily scripted. It it feels like one of those films where there'd be a lot of ad libbing going on. But when you really look at it, in order to do the kind of cutting that they have to do, I would imagine something like this is very well planned out. Very well, kind of look. We we do we do kind of have to do it this way because, you know, that's the way it's thought out in my head, kind of thing. But yeah, he acquits himself really well here. I like his character, and I, li- I like the way he blends into the rest of the group. Martin Freeman as well, I think, is a very underrated, dare I say. I mean, the, the word underrated is overrated, quite frankly. We, you know, it gets said a lot. But I, I feel like Martin Freeman doesn't quite get enough credit as an actor. You, know, you, you think of him in Sherlock. Benedict Cumberbatch is the one that everybody kind of kind of talks about but martin freeman is the straight man he kind of has the harder job in many ways um but he is a very good actor he has a lot of range i often see him in things where even stuff that i just thought was crap like nativity um he's still very good in it he manages he manages to do stuff where 
where other actors I think might fail. Like even like The Office. You, like I mean, I was never that big on The Office. I'm not. I'm not a big fan of Ricky Gervais. Uh, but some of the stuff that I've seen of him in The Office, he he has a very good way of grounding his characters, of bringing them down to earth, and making them feel like real people. Uh, the same with Bilbo Baggins, you know. Um, so yeah, I like him here, and and the other guy whose name I forget, um, the, the 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 last member of the group, um, he's he's a, an actor that I've I've loved for a, quite a long time ever since I saw him in um, Eddie Marsan. Eddie Marston, yeah, yeah, Eddie Marsan, yeah, uh, that's it. I saw him in uh, this Mike Lee film. He was this driving instructor, this like <clears throat> really angry driving instructor, but. You know, he's been in things like Hancock, where he's just he's he's a proper out and out kind of bad guy, really straight laced. You know, no humour. He's he's another one of these actors who can play all sides of the coin. But you kind of he's not a named actor. He's not someone who he's not a household name. You know, he's not a name that would instantly come to people's minds when you think of great actors. But if I was putting a list together and I was really thinking about it properly. He'd be up there because he he knows how to deliver. He's in this film. He he does a very good job of making himself kind of come off as quite pathetic, quite downtrodden. But I've seen him in films where he's scary, you know, where he he literally knows how to go completely the other way. Fantastic actor. Um, so yeah, you put these actors together like that, and you are going to get gold. You do get gold. Um, so that's for me, is probably one of the strongest aspects of the film, is the casting. Um, you know, it's, it's, you, you do a script like this, but if you don't get the right actors on board to kind of sell the idea of these characters, then, then yeah, you lose something. Um, and finally, uh, yeah, the, the the lady whose name, again, I, I've... Rosamund Pike. Rosamund Pike. <laughs> you see, all these people that I really love, but I just, for some reason, cannot remember their name. I absolutely love Rosamund Pike, and I've... I've been a big fan of hers even long before um, Gone Girl. Obviously, Gone Girl is, is the film that really made everyone take notice of her, but I I've, I really enjoyed her in Die Another Day, which is what is probably the worst Bond film after Moonraker. It's a terrible, yeah. terrible Bond film. But I liked her in that. Um, I took notice of her in that, and I've seen her in a few other things along the way where I've thought... Uh, like Made in Dagenham, she was good in Made in Dagenham as well, and and she was she's always been one of them actresses where I felt like if she could just get that role, you know, that that one role to really kind of kind of prove herself, and she did that with Gone Girl, thankfully. Um, so yeah, really great actress, uh, and I I love her in this as well. Again, she brings that really kind of down to earth quality that you need for this character. You can you can believe. She is the person that she's playing here, but yeah, that's, that's about it, really. It's all I want to so, so let me ask you this: What do you think the overriding theme of the movie is? Because I've I've kind of tossed and turned on this one. I've never been quite sure where, where it lands. I, I I'm not too sure if it's saying that you know you shouldn't dwell in the in the past. You should always just keep, keep moving, or, or or what it's trying to say to you. Uh well, I for me, it's just about. Um, letting go of put, put, putting away childish things basically I think it's about becoming an adult I think it's um, about what I think it's asking the question 
what are the things of childhood that need to be put away in order for you to move on as an adult? Does all that, does all that stuff have to go before, before you can enter the world of adulthood? Because obviously we have these four characters who kind of have put all that stuff to bed and then this one character who just can't. But yet when they all get together, these four characters kind of long in a way to get that back. There's, you know, there's, they act like they don't at the start, but as we go on through the film, they have these moments where it's almost like, yeah, they, that, that was a good time, weren't it? I, I remember that. Despite the fact that we're still pissed at you right now, Gary. Yeah, I, you know, you've just said something now. You've just done something there that's reminded me of of a time that I enjoyed. And so, yeah, I think it's just a, it's just a simple tale about becoming an adult and what, what do you have to let go from your childhood, from your, from your youth days in order to, to qualify for adulthood, I guess. Because you've got the ending of the movie and you've got Gary who has, has got his blanks with him, his, his crew from the 90s, and he's just reliving that childlike life that he had then, that perfect scenario where he's still the be-all, end-all and he still has his crew and doing the things that he wants to do. It, it, he doesn't he doesn't seem to have moved past that even at the end of the movie. He seems to have regressed even further. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it's just... Uh, I think that's the film's way of saying, look, at the end of the day, you just got to be happy in your own skin. Um, we're all making it up as we go along. This notion of adulthood is actually something that, you know, it's it's... It's it's just a construct. It's something that we kind of build up ourselves. So this notion of having to go out, get a job, having to go and get married, do you know, do the whole family stuff. If if you love that, if that's what you want to do, do it and do it to the best of your ability. Put everything you have into it. If you don't want to do that, then. <laughs> Then fine, like Gary, you know, do do what you want to do, but do it to the best of your ability to put everything you've got into that. And I think that's kind of overall is what the film's trying to say is that it's it's not necessarily wrong to to want to hold on to that person you were, just as long as that person you were isn't a complete douchebag who, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I because we see uh, you know the Nick Frost character and he, he goes back to his wife at the end and does he. Yeah, he he's oh sorry not not the Nick Frost oh you know, yeah yeah it is the Nick Frost he's character. Sitting, he's sitting in a city abandoned ground with a fire with a few kids. See, I wasn't sure if that was. Yeah, with with his no with his wife, he says um, she's she's taken him back. She's uh, he it's it's a bit simpler, you know, um, but we're enjoying ourselves. It, it, it mirrors um, that scene at the start where it it pans left to right through all the characters, and it does that again at the end when it passes through them all again, mm. even the people that have. Have uh, been turned into blanks, you know. Yeah. Peter, who's back with his his kids, and his wife still ignoring yeah, yeah. him. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 no, but um, you know, the the Nick Frost character is definitely back with his wife at the end. Um, because that's that was the thing is just that actually, you know, he he, he didn't need. I mean, like in many ways. Maybe the the big high paying job, the big businessman thing that he was, maybe that was one of the things that was was getting in the way of his relationship with his wife. I don't know. Um, they they don't really tell you over, overall like 
Yeah, yeah uh, I suppose you're right. What, you've just, you've just touched on something. It's, it's not the big things that, that makes them happy. It's all the small things. It's, it's having your mm. family. It's being with that girl that you always wanted to be with. It's being with your mm. friends. That's ultimately how they all end up. It's, society's crumbled to a point where you know, the high-powered job or the money doesn't matter anymore. It's personal happiness, and that's what they're actually grasping onto. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the scenes that I, I really enjoyed when I was watching this again was um, the scene at the bar at the end when they're talking to Bill Nighy, the, the, the head alien. <laughs> and everybody's just so drunk and just have. It's like a swear fest. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like F bomb city just comes calling. Yeah, but the, the, the drunk acting, the drunk acting at that point is absolutely <laughs> brilliant. It's just so good. It's really over the top, isn't it? It's just like. Yeah, but I just, you've had 12 pints, it's. <laughs> there's <laughs> that one moment as well in the, in the middle of the film when uh, when Nick Frost's character just 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 kind of set up, decides to just like say pot it and he just downs all those shots. But it's, it's the sound so he's doing. Like, mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That, that reminds me of another during the action scene where where Gary's just trying to drink his pint and it keeps getting knocked out of his hand. They just can't. Oh yes. And it's kind of almost like Buster Keaton esque type of thing. You know, he's, he watch trying to mm. a great scene. Um, yeah, really brilliantly staged. Yeah. So, do you want to wrap up with your your final thoughts and a score on this one, Ben? Well, for for me, I like I, I'd read loads of reviews about this film. I'd heard a lot about this film from people who'd seen it, um, and pretty much the general consensus was that this is the weakest of the trilogy. Uh, I have to say, just just for the sake of being controversial. <laughs> I totally disagree. This is my favourite film of this trilogy, and I really like Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. I do. They're they're cracking films. But I just feel like with this film, they've managed to take everything that they learned, everything that they developed in those first two films, and really perfect them with, with this film. I love the relationships all around. I want to be with these guys on their journey. Uh, you know, the, the action scenes are brilliantly choreographed, even more so than, than, like I say, than the first two films, and that's helped by the bigger budget. But I feel like, I don't know, I just feel like they've put a bit more into the planning of it, a bit, a bit more into the script. It just feels very dense. Uh, you watch it and, you've, you know... <clears throat> Like I say, those opening ten minutes, it's like information overload, and I'm just in awe of how much filmmaking has had to go into just making those first ten minutes. Sean Pegg's character is my favourite of his characters that he's played in these three films. Um, you know, he's just totally, totally nuts. He's he's, he's off the wall, but you, you have to... You kind of have to run at 50 miles an hour just to keep up with him. Uh, just the gags, they're just thick and fast. They just come constantly, like particularly that first half. The first half of the film, it's just gag after gag after gag. But but it's not just gags. Like the, 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 the things that are said that make you laugh, there's also a seriousness about, about it. There's also something underneath that tells you 
about that character that gives development it develops that character as well as poking fun as well as making you laugh I just think it's absolutely brilliant and it's definitely my favourite of the trilogy I think it's underrated there's that word again hello underrated but I really do like I say all the reviews I've read of this say it's the weakest of the trilogy I've not read any bad reviews I don't read anyone who says that this is a bad film but the consensus seems to be that it's it's the weakest, and I I just disagree. I I think it's the best. I really loved it. I'll give it a four and a half out of five. Good, right, okay. Um, when I the first time I saw this movie, I saw um at a preview screening, and I actually saw the Carnetto trilogy altogether. So I saw Shaun Dead, Hot Fuzz, and then this, and I felt like it was diminishing returns with each movie. Um. I seen it a few days later again in the cinema and I enjoyed it, but I had roughly the same opinion. And it's been since that last showing in the cinema until I I, I picked up the Blu-ray and sat and watched it. Now, like I said, I, I watched this five or six times. I can't remember how many times. And really, after the second time, I knew the movie. I knew what I wanted to discuss. And I knew what I wanted to talk about. But I kept putting it back on, and I kept enjoying it again. And it wasn't like a case of, oh, it's a slog to get through this or I need to rewatch it again. I put it on and I, I was genuinely drawn back in and I enjoyed it and I kept finding things that I hadn't noticed previously within the movie. So even looking back at my letterbox scores of this, when I seen it in the cinema, it got a three and a half. Right? And it's just wow. slowly moved up. And right now, I'm, 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 I'm quite unsure what I'm going to give it, but... I look at those first 40 minutes of the movie and they're as perfect a movie as I have ever seen. Everything about it is absolutely 100%. And initially I was thrown off by when it changes to the aliens, but I've came to terms with that now and I actually think it's a, a great part of the movie. It, it increases everything, it escalates everything, it pushes it to a dramatic fold where you need it to go to really get that capitulation that the characters need. And yeah, you know what, I think I'm going to do it. I think it's just a five. Five out of five for me. I, I just <laughs> and you'll see my you'll see my letterbox scores. It's like three and a half, four, <laughs> four and a half. It's it's creeping the way up there. I I'm a I just I think it's a, a wonderful movie and it's a movie that demands to be rewatched. And I think the more you rewatch it, the more you get out of it. And I think a lot of people mm. who have reviewed this have reviewed it on a one watch, and have not gave yeah. themselves the time to digest a lot of what's going on here and I think there is a lot going on mm. and like I said watching it those many times it's just got better and better and better and I would happily, as soon as we finish this you know, I, would, I would happily go and put it back on again even though I've just watched it a, yeah. a couple of hours ago it's a, a, a tremendously well made movie there's not a wasted sentence or scene that doesn't allude to something else within the movie itself it's so so well constructed and I just think it's a tremendous movie do you fancy just yeah. um, rating your three Carnetto movies in order of preference yeah I mean I like I say I, I, The World's End for me is, is my favourite of the three I just find it the most entertaining um, Shaun of the Dead again is, is really really entertaining I, it makes me laugh and whatnot, but it's quite rough around the edges now. It's not. It's not as clean. It's not as crisp. Um, but it is very well paced. It doesn't. That's another film that doesn't overstay its welcome. And I think that's the only. That's the only thing really that gives it the edge over Hot Fuzz. I think 
Hot Fuzz, from what I remember, it's actually quite a long film. I think it's about two hours, ten minutes or something like that. Um, and I think that was a film that maybe needed trimming back a bit. I think there's... Uh, <clears throat> I can't remember where I heard this, actually. Just the other day, I heard someone talking about comedy and about they'd done these test screenings and how... <clears throat> They showed the... It was like four hours' worth or something of the, of, uh, of this, this, this comedy. I, don't, I can't remember if it was like a TV show or a movie or something. But <clears throat> by the time that the audience got about two hours in, they just stopped laughing. Um, and they re-edited the, the thing that they were showing them and they showed it to a different test audience. So they put the stuff that they had at the, at the, at the, at the end and they put that towards the front and they flipped it around. But the same thing happened. Two, about two hours in, the audience just stopped laughing. And and that's just the thing with comedy. It's that you can only maintain that kind of... Uh, that trajectory, I guess, for, for so long. Comedy is one, it's just, it's just one of those things. And I think with, with Hot Fuzz... Which is a film that I still really love. I, I, it's a very funny film. Still has a lot of the good dramatic moments in in there as well. But I think of the three, that is the one that I would say is is the most of a slog to get through. It's it's the longest. But I would still give that a four star rating. I think it's a cracking British film. So I'd go The World's End, Shaun of the Dead, then Hot Fuzz. Um, I, I'd need to rewatch them all again uh, to get this. Perfected because of the way that the world's end has, has sort of ranked this way up. But I'm a horror guy, and I felt like Sony the Dead just unlocked the, the perfect horror comedy uh, combination, if you say so. I would, I would put mm. Sony the Dead number one, world's end number two, and Hot Fuzz three. Like you said, most of the reasons for Hot Fuzz is, is, is good. Out of the three characters that Simon picked, uh, plays Nick Angel is probably my least favourite of the three as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But again, like you said, putting it in third place is kind of like a, a sort of down point on it. But it's not. It's still a bloody good movie, um, and mm, it's a fantastic yeah. sort of loosely connected trilogy that we've got here. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, they'll get back together and make a, a part four to it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like the the trilogy itself has always had this theme of growing up. You know, you look at Sean. In Shaun of the Dead, he he's a character that seriously needs to grow up, that needs to mature, and then you go into Hot Fuzz, and that's they, what they did there is they reversed it. So Simon Pegg was the mature one, and then it's all the other characters around him that he kind of has to bring into reality to kind of get them to grow up, so to speak. Particularly the Nick Frost character, you know, he, he has this kind of very what idea about policing and what and what it is um but yeah he he he's basically the the model of maturity in that film that everyone else kind of looks to and then you know you get to the world's end and all of the characters in this film in some way need to mature in some way need to deal with whatever was going on in their youth whatever happened uh, way back when um so yeah i think if you want to if you want to think about a theme that kind of the trilogy as a whole looks at, then yeah, I think that's that's definitely something that seems predominant throughout the three films. Uh, yep, it was a good choice, Brian. Well done with this one. I'm quite happy that I got to revisit it several times. 
<laughs> five times. <laughs> it, it literally was about that, and I'm glad I got to do that. So do you want to move on to your top five that you chose for this episode? Yeah, so so in the last episode of Brits on Flicks, not, well, actually not the last episode because we did a special Halloween episode, didn't we? But the, the last proper episode of Brits on Flicks, we, we asked for people to give their top fives on creature designs. Um, <laughs> alien creature designs. So, yeah, um... Basically, like a few few honourable mentions. Um, now, I was a bit stuck with this because after I'd actually said it, uh, I I kind of kind of wanted to renege on it and just say actually not just alien creature designs, but 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 monsters in general because I was looking at some of the films on my shelf and man, the darkness from Legend. Uh, I, I've got to say this: if if we'd have gone monsters, not just alien creature designs, but the darkness by the, who Tim Curry plays in Legend, man, that would be my number one choice because the the design on that is even today that just looks amazing by today by today's standards of special effects. If they if they put that in a film today, I would be quite happy with the job that they've done on it. It was absolutely fantastic. <clears throat> I also like the design on Samael from Hellboy. Really good creature design there. Quite a few on my uh, on my list from Del Toro actually. Uh, Pan from Pan's Labyrinth would would be a good one. But like I say, this isn't this isn't monster creature designs. This is alien creature designs. Yep. <clears throat> um, so here's my top five with regards to alien creature designs. At number five, I'm going to go with the... No, actually, yeah. Number five, I'm going to go with the Alpha. It's my bottom two. I'm a bit like, oh, do I go with that one or do I go with that one? But, yeah, with number five, I'm going to go with the Alpha from Edge of Tomorrow. Or Live, Die, Repeat. Or Live, Die, Repeat, Edge of Tomorrow. Whatever the hell you want to call that film. Um, really cracking film. But the alien designs in that, absolutely fantastic. Uh, just the way they move is incredible incredibly fast and really intimidating um but yeah they feel very well designed to me i love the design of them uh what about you your number five well i've kind of cheated a little bit brian because and i'll, and I'll explain my choices for specifically for four and five when we get to the top three there, there are specific things but my number five creature would be the thing from the thing and now I, I feel i've cheated because you never really get a true image of this thing um, yeah. But some of the horrific designs that I, I, I becomes have stuck with me all through the years. They're grotesquely stunning, and I just I just love the the, the weird and wacky things that it turns into. So that is why it's my number five. Right. Okay. Fair enough. I I did come close actually to saying the thing, but because as you say, there's no definitive creature design, so to speak. I I couldn't I didn't really feel like I put it on there. Um, my number four, I'm gonna go with the monsters at the end of Monsters, uh, which is the low budget Gareth Evans film. I always get confused between Gareth Evans and Gareth Edwards, um, which Edwards right. Evans is the raid. Yeah, Ev- yeah, yeah, Evans is the one who did the raid, isn't it? Yeah. So Gareth Edwards, who he went on to do Godzilla, obviously he's doing the next Star Wars film, Rogue One. 
He started with this little independent film called Monsters, which was shot on a shoestring budget, um, just him filming it and a sound guy with a couple of actors. And because he came from the world of special effects, he had the ability, just on his home computer, to basically do all the effects himself, which is what he did. So, like I say, really, really low-budget film, but it looks amazing. It looks like a, you know... 40 50 million dollar production at least um and a lot of that is down to when you eventually get to see them the, these aliens these these monsters that you see at the end of the film and they're just beautiful really like there's a, there's a, this scene in this gas station where these two alien these two monsters kind of come together and i i don't know i think they're mating or something but they look the kind of kind of translucent like jellyfish, but just yeah, really beautiful. It's like a light show that's going on in their bodies, and yeah, really creative. I think way a really creative use of that kind of design to to create these monsters. That's my number four choice. Yeah, yeah monsters is a, a terrific movie, and I don't know if you've seen the sequel, but my god, did they drop the ball with that one? Oh no! Right, I picked it up cheap on Blu-ray, but I've not got around oh, to seeing it yet. So that's that's as close as I've came to walking out a movie in a long time. The, yeah. Really? It got a four-star review in Empire. Oh god! It's... It was either Empire or Total Film. One of the two gave it a four-star review, and I think the other one gave it a two-star review. So. I think somebody has had a movie script and they've just repurposed it ever so slightly to add in monsters. I think it's been like a. A Gulf War, Afghanistan war movie, and I've just thought, you know what, we'll chuck a monster or two in it. And you mean like they did with Ten Cloverfield yep, Lane? Exactly. Uh, but <clears> the <throat> war movie in Monsters Two is utter crap. <laughs> it's yeah. just bad. I'll look at it. Well, well, say no more. I will. I will watch it and give it my my opinion. Okay, uh, my number four, and again, I was kind of cheating. I, oh come on! <laughs> I chose the bugs from Starship Troopers, and I couldn't pick a specific one. Yeah, if I had to, just I don't know. They, they, I think they're just really, really fantastically <coughs> designed, and um, for a movie that came out at the same time as the Frighteners, we'll harken back to episode three. The special effects still Oof. hold up today in Starship Troopers. Oh yeah, it's uh, one of yeah. my favorite movies, and I think the bugs are just just look great. They do that, and that is a really impressive war film yeah. as well. It's a really great war film. Uh, I've not seen that for years, absolutely years. So we should probably revisit that one at yep. some point. Um, but yeah, I came close to putting Starship Troopers on this list actually because I I do like those the spiky ones, the little soldiers kind of thing that um, have these big spiky legs. Uh, yeah, they're they're great design. Um, they kind of remind me of the shadows from Babylon Five for. For any Babylon Five fans out there, <laughs> uh, of which I'm sure there are absolutely thousands of of Babylon Five fans, uh, but my number three choice is, and I was really torn between my number three and my number two, but at the end of the day, I went with Predator for my number three choice. Um, yeah, just really. Really great design, uh, uh, really good work there by Stan Winston. <laughs> oh, bless me. <laughs> I think I've done pretty well so far. So, yeah, really great work by Stan Winston, who has created a lot of 
good monsters and aliens for the screen. If we were doing monsters, um, not just you know, not just alien monsters, not just alien creatures, but like just monsters in general. Um, it, one of his designs for the creature out of the relic oh, would yeah. be on this list. Um, that's a fantastic new design creature and a really good film as well. It's a film that not a lot of people talk about, but if, you, if you're really into horror uh, and you want to see like a, a, a good kind of low-budget kind of monster movie, great film. Love the relics. Fantastic. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, The Predator. Just that mouth, you know? You, you don't expect it. When you first see that film, like I, I saw it when I was nine years old. First time I saw it, I was nine. You're not expecting them to take the helmet off, you know? It's like the helmet is on there to get around budgetary reasons. That's At least that's what you're thinking. You're thinking, you know, it's a good way of hiding what this thing is. You can see from its body, from its hands and its feet that it's, you know, it's, it's proper alien. You don't really need anything else. So when it takes that helmet off and reveals that face... Man alive, the design on that face and some of the work that has gone into it by by Stan Winston, uh, as I say, is just phenomenal. One of the best alien creature designs ever. It's, yeah, really fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, my number three, and, and I kind of cheated a bit here. Oh, sure, this is getting ridiculous. No, I'm only joking. Uh, my number three is Predator as well. Oh, right. Pretty okay. much the there exact same reasons as you, you, you've you said. It's mm. extremely unique and fantastic looking. There's a reason why it's still such an iconic image. You know, it's just as it's, it's fantastic looking. And like you said, that the sort of four-pronged uh, teeth outside of the mouth is just, yeah, yeah. it's great. And you go, number two, Brian. Yeah, well, the, the uh, I mean, I did a commentary predator recently on my channel um, and we very interestingly pointed out that my number two choice which is the alien from alien uh, has often been referred to as a rather phallic looking alien design um, many kind of you know, sexual analysts and whatnot have drawn attention to the fact that the the alien in that looks like this big penis, um, and it you know penetrates the the people that it kills when it when its mouth comes out and you know knocks holes in their heads. So Predator, which was our number three choice, that that kind of feels like Stan Winston thought. Well, you know, they they made a penis for Alien. We'll go the opposite way and we'll make a vagina. And it really feels like that's where they got the idea for the design of the Predator's mouth. It's like, alien did penis, we'll do vagina. But anyway, moving on, my number two choice, as I say, is alien. It's the... Uh... Uh, my my number two, a uh, bit of a strange one, but I really do like the design in this, and that is Audrey 2 from The Little Shop of Horrors. Ah, right. Um, I must confess... Confession time. I have yet to see that film all the way through. <laughs> wow, is it because you didn't like it, or I just didn't like the look of it at all? They've done a couple, haven't they? Um, did they, did they do a remake, or is it just there, the one? There was one in the fifties, I think it was a black. Was it black? I don't know. It's a Roger Corman movie, The Little Shop of Horrors. It had right, Jack Nicholson okay. was in it for a couple of minutes, um, and right. then they did the Rick. And then they did. Then they did the one with Rick Moranis yes. in, and that's so you. That's it, right? So. 
Audrey okay. 2 is from the Rick Moranis one, um, which I think I watched last year, two years ago, and that man, that holds up. It's a tremendous movie with some fantastic musical numbers, but the design of Audrey itself is just a fantastic, a fantastic image. Um, and especially when it has to like, lip sync to a lot of the songs or look menacing or just stand and, and be a flower that just it's a stunning a stunning image you need yeah. to check that one out Brian okay. I, I will I, I, you know maybe I should get around to it I mean like the first time I tried watching that I was a kid mm-hmm. you know so probably just not my taste at all uh, I, I might appreciate it a lot more now yeah. Um, but yeah okay uh, my number one choice is the alien queen from <laughs> Aliens. Um, I just, yeah, I had to do this as a separate one just because, yeah, they're kind of the same alien, but, man, the the differences between them, like, the, the alien queen in Aliens is just monstrous. And when she has that fight scene with Ripley in the, in the, uh, the mm-hmm. suit, it's just brilliant. One of one of the one of my favourite moments of cinema. Um, but yeah, I mean, what a beast that alien is. I mean, right, right, not just the creature itself, but obviously it's, it's this mother alien, and when we first see it, it's laying these eggs, and it has this huge tube coming from the back, back end, and you see these eggs kind of funneling the way down from it. So all of that stuff, really, that. The design that has just gone into that is incredible. Um, and piecing that together, making it work, making it look like it can actually stand up and walk in the way that it does when it's fighting Ripley. All just brilliant work, you know, fantastic stuff. Uh, James Cameron, again, just top of his game. And Stan Winston, again, at the top mm-hmm. of his game. Uh, my number one is the Xenomorph from Alien. Um, right. I think you, you tend to get two city camps of people. You've got the aliens people and you've got the alien people. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm definitely in the alien camp. I think that the whole design was... It just looks terrifying, that thing. The, the way it moves on all four uh, legs, like you said. Um, the, the, the whole sort of like mouth within the mouth, it just looks terrifying. The whole shape of the head, in fact, just looks weird. You know, that elongated yeah. back head, the, the black, shiny, whatever... It is skin, the kind of half mm. lizard, half cat like type of thing. It's just a weird looking thing that when I think of aliens, I think of that. Not alien resurrection no. with the human no, hybrid. No. And, no. and when you mention aliens, it's one that I need to revisit. I don't think I've seen aliens since the early 90s. Wow, it, really? Yeah, Not it long. doesn't really stick with me. I, I can't remember much about it. Oh man. Well, don't don't forget what you thought about Terminator Two until you went back and watched mm-hmm. that again. I think you need to go back and do. For some reason, you seem to have had a bias against James Cameron's films, but you need to. I love True Lies. <laughs> Seriously, T Two. You you went back and watched that after years of not really being all that interested, and you loved it. You need to check out Aliens again, the director's cut, because it's absolutely I fantastic. I, I, am in, I am more in the Aliens camp uh, than I am the Alien camp, but I still, you know, I would still give Alien a five-star rating. It's a classic, absolutely. But for me, just for entertainment value, Aliens all the way. But that Alien Queen, man, it's like they took that design, they took that original H.R. Giga design, and they just brought it to the next level but it is I mean what a design it was in the first place anyway but yeah 
Okay, so we'll move on to what we've been watching recently. So some films that I've been watching recently. One that I was really disappointed with because I love the first one. Absolutely love the first one. Again, a film that I think is underrated. Um, people give it quite a lot of flack. And for me, it was like a 9 out of 10 film. Loved the first Jack Reacher. Watched Jack Reacher never go back. Man, was I disappointed. Really, really disappointed. It felt so generic. It felt like they were going through the motions. And it was just lazy and half-arsed. And this whole thing with his daughter, you know, it's... Is, is this girl his daughter? And it's just like, you know that she can't be his daughter because they can't sustain that kind of relationship with this kind of character for future movies. Um, and I'm sorry if that's a spoiler, but if you don't see that coming a mile off, then you must have your head up your backside because this, this film just feels so signposted all the all of the beats in it are just so signposted like if you're really paying attention just throughout the film there's so many little things where they litter in moments where okay you know this is halloween you see that that, that there are things in there that tell us this is set up around halloween time and because of those things i knew absolutely knew that there was going to be a scene, a big action scene, set in some Halloween parade somewhere. And it was just like, so I'm just, I'm sat there in the film and I'm not engaged because I'm too busy breaking it apart. I'm too busy looking and noticing the elements that, that go into what make it up. Whereas I didn't have that with the first film because the first film was so brilliantly scripted by Christopher McQuarrie. It was a real genuine mystery. Um, you felt like that that's what the film was. It was a mystery. It was a thriller. Yeah. And those elements have just been completely jettisoned here. So it's just, it's just an action film, a generic action film, um, with a generic story that's been done in, in a hundred other films. Um, so, yeah, really, really disappointed. And I like... Um, the director, whose name escapes me again, I'm tonight. I'm just Edward Zwick. Edward Zwick. I really like some of the films he's done. He's done a handful of films that have been fantastic. Blood Diamond's tremendous. Yeah, Blood Diamond, Last Samurai. I absolutely adore. Now that's a film that a lot of people, you know, that's half and half. You either love it or hate it. I love the Last Samurai. I think it's brilliant. Um, so yeah. When I found out that he was directing the new Jack Reach, I thought, okay, we're in safe hands. That's okay. But man, this was this was a disappointment. I wouldn't say it was a terrible film. Uh, when you stack it up against y your average action flick that comes out, yeah, okay, it holds its own. It's it's probably a three out of five. But because it's a Jack Reacher film, and I know we've not had a long history of Jack Reacher movies, but for me, the first film was really, really strong. I don't know how you feel about the first film, but for me, it was a really strong film. So coming off the back of that, it's it's more like a two and a half out of five kind of movie for me, just because it was just such a disappointment. Yeah, I've seen Jack Reacher as well, and I liked the first one. I don't think it was super amazing, but it was a really good movie. 
Um, I think the, the best thing about the first one is he drifts into town, he gets embroidered in a mystery, he does detective work, he solves it, he leaves the town, he doesn't get stuck in the usual tropes of he has to develop as a character. He pretty much leaves the same way as he enters the movie. He's got no personal ties, yeah. he's got no family, he's got no love interests. The yeah. first thing they do in the second movie is they give him a love interest, pen pal, and they give him a possible family member. Yeah. Why man. Why the hell would you do that? You're, you're stripping away all the things that people liked about the first one and just threw them away. And in the mystery, It was a completely different movie. Yeah, completely. And in the mystery in this one, they don't detect anything. There's no nothing for them to do. <laughs> I mean, that, that elongated scene of uh, Tom Cruise kind of standing side on looking at these crates... And then looking down at the ground, then looking at the crates, and then looking, and you're like, oh, mm. it just, oh, uh, you know, I th- for the, for me, the first one's a three and a half, four, the second one is is a two at best. Yeah, the first the first film for me is is a four and a half, possibly a five. It's been a while since I've seen it, but I just I do I love it. It's one of those films that. I constantly hear criticism about, so I go back and I, I watch it tentatively because I'm like, oh no, maybe you know, because some films are like that. You really enjoy them first time round, then you hear all the criticism, stuff that you haven't really thought about, and then when you go back and you watch it, you're like, oh no, they were right, they were right. It is, it's, it's not that good. But uh, you know, I, that's not happened to me so far with Jack Reacher. I've gone back and I'm like, actually, no, people are talking crap. This is a really good film. Um, so yeah, um, you know, and I got that with Man of Steel as well. People talk absolute crap about Man of Steel, but I mean, Jack Reacher's got it's got everything. It's literally got everything. It's even got Jai Courtney getting killed. What more do you want? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and Jai Courtney actually is semi decent in that film. You know, it's it's one of the very, very short list of films in which Jai Courtney doesn't annoy the crap out of you. Um, so, yeah, I love it. I loved the first Jack Reacher, but this one was such a disappointment. Um, one that I, I saw, I know you saw it as well, is Doctor Strange, um, the latest Marvel movie, uh, and a, yeah. a new character hit to hit, and um, I've, seen it, I've seen it twice so far, and I like it. Mm-hmm. As far as Marvel movies go, I think it's kind of middle of the roadish. It's, mm. and I, I don't I think the movie has a couple of problems but I think it's necessary problems for it to have because it's introducing mysticism and magic into the Marvel Universe it really needs to be a kind of origin movie to, to instigate that but I feel that it's tied a little bit too much to being an origin movie and I've got a feeling that the second one being free of those constraints will be a far better movie because the bad guy in this one just seems to appear every now and again cause havoc and then vanish. Most of it's spent on Doctor Strange learning his craft, but there were yeah. some really good moments in it. I think the special effects were amazing. Um, the, yeah. the psychotropic scene at the beginning of the movie when um, the Ancient One tells him to open his eye is yeah. something that I can see me having on loop. It was just so freaky, so weird. You know, the hands coming out of his fingertips, getting into more hands. Yeah. It was stunning imagery, but I just felt the story was a little bit lacking. So I, I'm actually, <laughs> I was on the opposite side of the fence to you. I, I really liked it, and I wasn't expecting to because I'm not really into the whole mysticism mm-hmm. angle and the the magic stuff. It's something that tends to switch me off as as an interest. But I was engaged 
throughout. I really liked the character, and I really liked the setup. Now, now, for me, the biggest flaw with the film is that when you introduce characters that have such immense power, it kind of causes problems because you know, you know, there are times when. Well, there are many times when they move buildings, they reshape buildings. Um, and while that looks pretty, it often doesn't serve much of a function because the people who are moving these buildings and whatnot are in pursuit of someone like Doctor Strange. So you're kind of sat there thinking, well, if you can have that much control over these buildings, why don't you just pull them all in to crush him why don't you just you know boom bring them all in crush him that's that so often it's those kind of elements to me that that make me go you know that kind of niggle at me um but if you can get over those hurdles if you can get over that kind of element then i think this is one of the better kind of Marvel films. It's something that does something a little bit different, I think. It definitely has a darker tone to to a lot of the other films that they do. Um, but it is unequivocally a Marvel film. There's no getting away from that. It, you know, it still has a lot of the Marvel elements that distinguish um distinguish it as a Marvel movie. But I liked it. I liked it a lot. I'd give it a four out of five. Um I Yeah, I wasn't far from yeah I gave it three and a half. Mm, yeah. You know, but like I said, I'm more excited about seeing a sequel now that they've, they've set up the, the character. Um, I'd yeah. like to see you know, where it's going to go. Yeah. I really like Tilda Swinton in the film as well. I thought she's yeah. she's always good. Yeah. Um, I, I watched Zero Dark Thirty uh, really? and I loved it. I I was absolutely blown away by it. I thought it was brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I, I really liked The Hurt Locker as well. I thought that was a good film. I've only seen that once, but I just remember thinking it was a very good film when I first saw it. Zero Dark Thirty is brilliant because it's one of those films that... Uh, w- when you tell a story that is so well-known, you know the outcome. You know, Titanic. Well, the, well, the ship sinks. We know that. How do you, dr- how do you draw... Um, you know, conflict and suspense out of something that you already know the outcome for, and this film does it brilliantly. You, you're caught. You know, you you know they're going to get Osama bin Laden. We know that, mm-hmm. but but throughout, you're just tense. You you're really engaged, invested in these characters, particularly this this lead character. Played by, <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm, I'm on so Jessica Chastain, played by Jessica Chastain. Um, again, a fantastic actress. Anyway, I I love her in like everything I see her in. Um, but she's brilliant here. She pulls in a really great performance of this woman who is so doggedly um, driven to finding Osama bin Laden that she that she puts anything else to one side she doesn't have a personal life she doesn't really she doesn't really make friends all that well because she's she just the only thing on her mind is is pursuing bin laden um so seeing her character act seeing her journey again just really tense really had me on the edge of my seat despite the fact that i knew they were going to catch this guy and 
yeah, some some really good actors make appearances as well. That you know, like Chris Pratt pops up at, at the end, and um, Joel Edgerton, which you know they're they're only in like the the last kind of act of the movie, but yeah, but there's some really good acting talent in. Fantastic film. Uh, Catherine Bigelow again, just cementing herself as as a great director, not just you know, not just oh, one for the females. She's just. She holds her own with any director, male or female. She's a fantastic filmmaker. I remember all the big reviews when that came out, and there was a lot of discussion about the movie when it came out, and I kind of missed it in the theatres. Mm. And, you know, I've just never went back and, and, and seen that one, so that's one I've still got to watch. But, you know, it got me interested in it, Brian. Um, yeah, you should definitely watch it. One movie I saw uh, earlier this week, i seen it on Tuesday, actually, was Train to Booze On. Or trade to Busan, whatever, however you pronounce it, and it's a Korean zombie flick. Okay. <laughs> and it is, it's pretty much zombies in a train. Right. <laughs> and that is really good. <laughs> really good. Um, okay. It's. I don't know if it's these four movies get away with a little bit more. You're a little bit more forgiving because it's not your usual Hollywood type of things, and mm. but there is quite a few extremely tense sequences in this movie that literally had me in the edge of the seat and the fact that you don't know any of these actors or that you never knew who was going to survive you got a ragtag group of people and they just seemingly just decimate anyone at any moment nobody is safe at all um, it could be an old woman could be a young girl you know they just <laughs> it's just unbelievable I do feel the, the, the movie itself kind of falls apart maybe in the third act when they try to create a human vil- villain character. Right. Um, but up until then, full attention, really exciting, kind of funny as well, and a movie that I will probably go back and revisit a couple of times. Okay, excellent. Um, yeah, I I watched Westworld. Um, I'd seen the the first episode of the new series mm-hmm. uh, which which I thought was really good it really kind of had me I'd like to go back and, and continue watching it um, but I kind of got me in the mood to go and go back and watch the original Westworld movie uh, which I've never actually seen all the way through right. uh, so I watched it first time gotta say I think it's a little overrated yes. uh, I, I'd give it a 3 out of 5 uh, but I just... Yeah, it just kind of meanders a lot of the time. It 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 feels yeah. I just I don't know. It just I I just wasn't that interested in the characters that we were following. We got these two guys. So there's this one guy who's been to the the Westworld theme park many times. <clears throat> and then you've got his friend that he takes along with him who who's a bit of a newbie. He's never been before. And I like how they, you know, they set up the world through this guy's eyes, you know, so you're seeing everything for the first time through his eyes. But after a while, that just gets a little bit dull and, and you're kind of like, OK, I'm, I'm, I'm itching for Yul Brenner to, to kind of go all Terminator on everyone's ass now. Um, and then when he does, it's, it, it's not that thrilling, to be honest. Um, he just he just walks after them a lot of the time and and they run away and yeah they, it's 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 a bit anticlimactic I, mm. I would say so yeah I was I was quite disappointed with that I 
I was expecting at least a four-star kind of film mm -hmm. because, you know, it is kind of widely considered to be quite a classic, but I don't know, maybe... Maybe if I'd seen it in the in the year it came out, I'd have more love for it. But now it, it just seems a bit dated. Yeah, I, I watched this a, a few months ago myself. And like yourself, I found myself kind of tuning out very early on into the movie. And just, I wasn't that enamoured with it. Um, nothing interesting really happens in it. And it doesn't really explore any of the themes that it could explore, being in this kind of world. And it's very much like a precursor to say Crichton's other movie Jurassic Park yeah. you know like um, a, a, an amusement park where the rides start to kill you almost you know yeah. only it wasn't that exciting um, well I, I've, I've watched quite a bit actually because um, yeah I, I have been I mean not to go into sob stories and everything for, for anyone listening but I've, I basically I was on these tablets and they caused depression uh, so I've been quite depressed for for a good two weeks and I've not really done anything on my channel I've not done anything else other than really watch movies so I, I have watched quite a few movies recently um, I went back and revisited Bridge of Spies which made my top 10 of 2015 uh, I loved it and it held up you know I watched it again and I, I was still just as engrossed in those characters uh, I thought it was brilliantly written and, and brilliantly filmed by Spielberg uh, yeah love it really good film give it a four and a half out of five and my last ones which I just want to talk a little bit about is The Hunger Games and The Hunger Games Catching Fire because I am currently making my way through Hunger Games movies. I I recently I had the first film and the last film on Blu-ray, and I had the middle two on on DVD, and I've been itching to kind of watch them again, like recently. And I thought, if it, it is this first time? I, no, I've, it, seen, it seen, seen, before? I've seen them before. I've seen them before. But I I watched them obviously, you know, a a year apart as they came out, you know. So I had that kind of view to them really. Um, so I just wanted to watch them. Kind of back to back, you know, so like one night after the after the other. Like if we weren't if we weren't recording this tonight, I would have watched uh, Mockingjay Part One. Um, but I I went and I bought the 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 other two parts on Blu-ray because I thought you know what if I'm going to do it I'll, I'll do it properly I'll get them all on Blu-ray. So I've watched the first Hunger Games, and it really holds up. Um, you know, there's some elements in it that kind of bring it down a little bit, like some stuff with hot like there's these dogs in it at the end of the film. And I'm not. I'm not quite yeah. clear. Are they holograms? Are they meant to be like some kind of holographic projection? No, I think it's it's something that's actually right because because they just seem like to some... appear. Like I I can't make it out whether they, whether like you see one appear at the end of the film, and I can't make out whether it comes out of a hole in the ground or whether it just materializes. I, I think it's it's some it's something that that's made by the the game master. If I believe right, because somebody explained to me before that um, in the books, I think the dogs have the faces of the dead characters. Right. You know, the, the okay. other people that have been killed off. So I think it's right. something that's constructed by the game master. Now they can. But it's just, it's just that whole thing seems unclear to me. Yeah. So when these dogs just appear, because you see this woman, <clears throat> she kind of brings it up on this computer, this this monitor. So you you see it, and it almost you know it looks like this thing they they've designed as a hologram, and then it just appears on on the on the uh, the arena, 
and the way it comes up out of the ground, or at least it looks like it comes up, it just kind of materializes. So I'm mean, that's I'm sat there and I'm thinking this is a hologram. So have they gone on have they gone full Star Trek here where the holograms can hurt you and so I don't know, it just to me just that element kind of took me out of the movie a bit. It did the first time I watched it, and it does here as well. I just, I, yeah, I can't quite get my head around that moment. But it's still a very good film. There's a lot of, like, politics in there that I like. I mean, you don't actually get into the Hunger Games element of the film until well into, uh, well until after an hour has passed. So, like, literally more than the first half of the film is not actually in the Hunger Games, it's actually outside. It's all the politics, all the Pan Am stuff, all the stuff between the districts. And that's the stuff that I like. I actually like that more than the arena stuff. I still find the arena stuff entertaining because that's where all the action is and all that kind of thing. But, yeah, it's it's good that it's like that. I like the fact that actually you can take more away from these movies than just once they get in the arena because that that's kind of what could happen with something like this. You could be sat there kind of looking at your watch thinking, oh, I just get into the arena already. I want to see some, some action. I want to see people killing each other. Um, so, yeah, it's built on a really good foundation, I think. Um, and so, yeah, Hunger Games Catching Fire, which I watched last night, really good film. It is a really good film. Um, I was tempted... Yeah, I was, I was tempted to give it a four and a half, but in the end I went with a four. Um, but very solid. Again, all the politics come into play. It's like they take all the stuff from the first film, but they build on it. They really build on it, like the relationship with, with her sister and, and her mother. And you see how those characters have grown. And there's a lot of stuff that, first time around, like I say, because I watched these films when they'd come out, so you have that period of, like, you know, a year goes by and like there are elements where they they you they kind of just go you you don't you know fixate on them and I'm not somebody who read the books so I'm there isn't stuff that I'm looking for because I know they're going to come in the sequels so so yeah the like the, the stuff there where actually watching them one night after the other you notice it whereas you don't when you're watching them a year apart. So, like, the stuff with a mother and a sister, you notice the growth in those characters. Mm-hmm. So you see the sister in the first film, and she's this really timid, kind of um, fearful little girl, and you've got the mother who who seems to be, I don't know, some kind of maybe an addict, maybe not, but she's certainly not a very good mother. She's kind of someone who's maybe broken down and not held up to her responsibilities and whatever. Um, and then, you you know, you come to the second film, it's a year later almost, uh, and, yeah, there's growth there. The, the, the You know, the, the, the sister has, has kind of learnt skills, she's learnt some medical skills, she's a lot tougher. She's, she's had to, she had to be kind of thing, she's had to, to, to get tougher since the events of the first film. The mother is, you know, not completely stable, you can tell, because there's a moment where she's got shaky hands and that, but she's trying. She's trying to be a better parent. And it's just like little moments like that where when you watch the films back to back, you catch them and it kind of enriches your enjoyment or your experience of watching these films, I think. So, yeah, Catching Fire was was, was always my favourite of the four. Um, although I, it probably joint with Mockingjay Part Two, um, but yeah, watched it last night and it is a fantastic film, really good film. Mm-hmm. 
when you think about all the young adult novels that have been translated, uh, you know, you just say that, young adult novels, and it, it kind of sends a shiver down your spine because you think of Twilight, you think of The Fifth Wave, you think of Insurgent, and it's just like, oh, man. And I think in many ways, Hunger Games gets tired with that brush by some people just by virtue of it being young adult mm-hmm. novel kind of adaptation. But it is so, so much better than any of those other films. It's on a completely different level, I think. There's a lot more meat on its bones. Mm. Uh, the characters are much better fleshed out, much more fleshed out. So, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to actually getting getting into watching Mockingjay parts one and two. So, yeah, that's, that's what I've been watching recently. Uh, there you go. Okay, uh, speaking of young adult, have you seen The Maze Runner? I have actually, and I, I, that is another series that I like. It's yeah. not quite as good as the Hunger Games franchise, but I, I liked the first one, yeah. and I, I actually preferred the second one. A lot, oh. a lot of people are, are down on the second one, but I, I thought yeah, I didn't like you it. didn't like it. Oh right, see, I, I had a fun time with that. I enjoyed it. Um, it's probably not as well structured as the first film, but I, no, I, I enjoyed it, and I, I look forward to. Seeing a third one, which I hope they're going to do. Uh, oh, it's coming out uh, starting next year. Right, excellent. Because I know the actor from that had an injury, so that yeah. set them back. I didn't know how serious it was or, or what, but yeah. but yeah, I like. I think it. He actually, yeah, I think he actually got an injury in making the movie. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. did. Um, oh. But no, I, th- I think it's it's done and they've released a teaser poster and all that. Oh, excellent. The, the, right. the problems I had with the second one, I think, could be solved depending on how the third movie is. Because it definitely does feel like the middle part of a story. Right. So it all depends how they uh, how they stick the landing. It could raise that movie for me. Um, as we move on to next month's episode, which is going to be in December, I have decided to choose Scrooged for that month's choice. That is the Bill Murray 1988 classic, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. One of the best versions of A Christmas uh, Carol. And I thought we'd just take it easy on the top five and go for our top five favourite Christmas movies to watch at that time of year. Yeah. You know, the thing is, it just uh, put you in the Christmas spirit. Yeah. So that'll be a, a fun list to come up with. Yeah, excellent. I mean, I already know what my top three are, so, but I'll, uh, I will save that for for next time. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I'm just wondering if I'm going to cheat. <laughs> I'm sure you will. I think I might. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are we going to go full on Christmas movies where Christmas is uh, the main theme of the movie and not just like a sideways movie like Lethal Weapon? It has to be. It has to be a Chris. <laughs> it has to be a Christmas movie in the sense that it has to take place at Christmas. Lethal Weapon. Right, and they have to. Rev- oh, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I consider Die Hard to be a Christmas movie. Um, it yeah. takes place at Christmas. There's Christmas music in it. They mention the fact that it's Christmas. You know, he's going home for the for the the, the Christmas season. It's a Christmas movie. Um, so, so yeah. Even Gremlins. Gremlins. Gremlins, Gremlins is definitely a Christmas movie. And yes, Lethal Weapon, I would say, is is, is a Christmas movie. Oh, you're, you're making it tough now. Yeah. If it, if it takes yeah. if it takes place at Christmas, then you better believe that Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is going on that yes. list. <laughs> so thanks for listening to our. Uh, episode we'll see you next month and as always the time tracks will be in notes below as well as our social media contacts and we look forward to seeing you on our next episode of Brits on Flex Outtake
Yeah, yeah, that's all you're thinking. You're like, there's the outtake. Good grief. Don't be afraid of your freedom. Free from the lock, I'm free from the key. Feel like a butterfly free. 